0: Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on a cloudy day here in the capital, as once again, we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on the topic of leadership. My name is Scott Chaloner, and I'm delighted to be joined on today's programme by Timothy Warren. Timothy is the founding director of GSC Events, a company based in Western Supermare, which helps corporates, government departments and associations confirm suitable meeting space and accommodation for their events worldwide. Timothy, very warm welcome to you, and thank you ever so much for taking the time to join us today.
1: Thank you. Um, It's very kind of you to invite me on this program today at a very challenging time.
0: It's a real pleasure having you join us as well, Timothy. Now, um, the purpose of this discussion, first and foremost, is to establish your take on leadership. So if we look at that word leader and explore that for a moment to begin with, I'm interested to understand what that word means to you and how it resonates on the whole.
1: Well, I would say a leader is there to motivate people and to achieve a common goal. And if they're able to do it um, with the backing of those people, then um, you should ultimately have a a great result.
0: And thinking about your own sort of leadership style, I suppose, how would you describe that, particularly from a people management perspective?
1: Well, I would say that... um, Everybody has got uh, something good to say in their lives, however difficult things may be. And I think that when I'm talking to people, I try and ask them to concentrate on those aspects of their lives and try and bring those forward um, to the attention of other people and to themselves so that um, they can view life. With a bit of enthusiasm for the future, Um, however hard the um, and however difficult the um, situation they're they're in at that particular moment, Um, I'm all about trying to get the best out of people. I think uh, people are innovative. Uh, Generally, people look forward. They don't look backwards. Um, and it, it's to that aim that um, is good for for all of us.
0: I think there are some cr- incredibly important points to take away from that, for sure. Um, the importance of empowering people to not just have their voices heard, but also giving the confidence to try things for themselves. Because that process of learning, on the job almost is incredibly important not just in leadership but also in one's development term, i suppose in any profession and i think in our development journey as leaders it's important to have that experience of learning trying things for ourselves maybe suffering one or two setbacks and then learning from those and embracing them as learning curves that's incredibly important when it comes to leadership as well isn't it it
1: is i mean we, we are we are in the meetings business and um We have got this situation at the moment where, unfortunately, people are not getting together as much as they used to. Um, But the whole point of getting people together, um, the whole point of leaders getting people together, is to really, apart from delivering a message, um, is to get those individuals to talk to each other. And from that, um, leaders can get to know a lot about the thought processes within the individuals that are um, under one roof for a particular meeting. And from from there, new ideas um, can be gathered and collectively they can be worked on. And from that point, new solutions can be arrived at for a lot of problems that we all face. Um, and I think it, it, it's not um, always the case that somebody who has been successful in life has created um, the success on their own. It is a combination of people who have um, collectively put their ideas and thoughts together um, to, to make things happen and, and to make progress um, and, and, and success be um, for us all.
0: Of course, and um, thinking about that sort of learning point that we mentioned a little bit earlier on, I think it's fair to say that the COVID-19 situation, which is ongoing at the moment, has been one of the most significant learning curves for businesses as they've had to adapt and innovate in order to survive the, uh, the pandemic. Is there anything that you have learned from a business leadership perspective over the last few months as your business has had to face adapting to a new reality?
1: Well. A lot, of, um, uh, a, lot, a lot of meetings have been taking place, but they've been taking place online, digitally, um, through the Zoom platform and through various webinars, etc. Um, but the feedback that we've had from people is that they are not getting um, the same kind of responses um, out of the people they're meeting online as they would if they were meeting them face-to-face. And I think it's um, difficult because um, issues around a subject are invariably not discussed. And and some of those issues around a particular subject that needs to be talked to are equally as important as the subject that is actually being addressed in a, a digital online meeting. So going forward, I sincerely hope that uh, we can revert back to pre-March 2020 days and we can start to um, convene and uh, get ourselves together uh, to make progress in the future.
0: And with regard to the, uh, the debate about particularly the events industry and working practices within the sector, do you think that some features of the lockdown period, such as that move toward electronic delivery webinars, do you think that will end up becoming a permanent part of the way that the industry works? Or will there always be a place for the real face-to-face meeting and that sort of human social space, do you think?
1: I think um, a lot of um, there was a, a, a study done by a professor at Cardiff University who said that it takes approximately 19 days for a person to change their habit. Now, we we have um, had this lockdown for a long time now, and people are getting used to working from home and not going into their offices. and um, there will be a lot of things that people will enjoy about that you know they're traveling to and fro from work can be um, awful for some people um, so those kind of um, savings will be appreciated and um, but I think the at the at the end of the day um what we 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 will still need to get people together um, in order to find out um, exactly uh, what they're thinking, um, because I don't believe that will ever be uh, transpired through uh, a digital format.
0: And given the loss of that sort of social space, um, in many office um, environments, um, during this time, um we have seen a real emphasis on the importance of mental health and well-being, considering, considering how isolated we've all been during the pandemic. Uh, how important do you think that mental health is in leadership, both in terms of looking after your own and also that of those around you?
1: Well, I think it's very important to keep in touch with people and, um, I think it's very important for people to express their ideas and um, their thoughts. But as I say, um, if you are meeting somebody face to face, the conversation that you're having with them um, is more private. And I think that if you um, transfer your thoughts across any digital platform, people might think that might be a public space and therefore people are not going to necessarily speak about those inner thoughts or thoughts that they have for an organization, their colleagues or their bosses. And therefore, um, employers are not going to know entirely, um, you know, the the direction of thought of their workforce. So, um, no, I think it's extremely important that people still try and make an effort to get together. And um you know um, you know and, and allow themselves to to, uh, to to say exactly what they feel um, so that things can be improved and i I, I, I wonder what is going to happen um, internationally in this space, because if you've got um, one segment of the community or society, Going down a digital platform and uh, another section of society and group or community deciding that they will carry on meeting together. You might have, um, uh, get further down the line, you, you might in, a, in a, in the competitive world that we're in, have significant differences between those that are achieving and those that are not.
0: And thinking about um, what might come with the new normal, especially in the context of uh, GSC events, um, what do you envision over the next uh, 12 to 18 months for yourself and for the business, Timothy? And what do you really hope to achieve as we sort of move into the long term and through the COVID pandemic, hopefully?
1: Well, I think as organisers, the thing that we're concerned about is liability. of organizers putting people um, into one area to deliver a message, I think um, they, they will have to be clear that, uh, you know, they, they cannot be made responsible for, um, you know, any, any of their delegates um, contracting anything as a result of asking people to meet together. Uh, and they will have to, in some some way, ensure that they will be protected from anyone um, um, blaming them for um, getting anything if they are asked to be under one roof for a meeting. Uh, so that's a, a new thing as was after this COVID nineteen. But uh, I I think that. Um, the the, the the other thing that will worry um, or, or concern organizations who do put together meetings is uh, another lockdown, potentially another lockdown, which would affect the whole process of of, uh, of the meeting plan. Um, we We have seen areas in the world where Lockdowns have rehappened, uh, reoccurred, and um, it has um, put a whole lot of inconvenience into uh, into you know the, the factor of organisation, and and we don't have to um, um, necessarily uh, rename those places, but they've happened here, they've happened in Portugal, they've happened in Germany, um, and they're happening right now in the states. So. Um, I think people who uh, um, plan to to go to events in the future will have to be prepared to be turned away at the last minute if this thing is not resolved with a a seriously good vaccine.
0: Certainly going to be an interesting time for business as we move into uh, the new normal and embrace its challenges, that's for sure. And I think it's one thing, of course, speculating what the future might bring with it. And it's another entirely actually analysing what's happened and looking back retrospectively. So, in light of how informative it's been discussing these issues with you today, Timothy, I think it would be wonderful to have you back on the programme in a few months' time to actually assess ju- just what has changed in the time between and also um, understand how things are getting on behind the scenes at GSC events as well.
1: Absolutely. Well, look, it's a pleasure talking to you. and uh, Thank you, very much
0: for your time today. That was Timothy Warren speaking, Founding Director of GSC Events. Coming up next on the programme today, I'll be handing over to Jonathan White for his exclusive interview with Liz Field, the Chief Executive of the Personal Investment Management and Financial Advice Association, the trade body for firms who provide such services for both individuals and families. And I hope that you enjoy listening just as much as Jonathan relished the opportunity to speak with Liz. All of that is coming up next.
2: I'm Jonathan White, and we're joined today by Liz Field, CEO of PIMFA, Personal Investment Management and Financial Advice Association. What a great mouthful. Liz, thank you very much for coming on today.
3: No, thank you for inviting me.
2: No, not a problem. A complete pleasure. And I think uh, it would be a great place to start if we may. Is maybe a little bit of background uh, for the listeners? Obviously, Pimfer does work in uh, uh, across the board these days, but of course, it was only founded uh, uh, three years ago, and of course, Mapfer um, um, and uh, the WMA were merged.
3: That's right. Yes, um, I think it really was a, a reflection of of where the industry was going in terms of uh, the provision of financial advice and helping individuals with their um, personal financial futures that – we felt that it was necessary for the two bodies to merge together. Um, but both, well, certainly the Wealth Management Association and its predecessors, have been around for nine, well, nearly thirty years yes. now, actually. But you're quite right. Um, as PIMFA, it's it's been nearly three years now.
2: And the uh, probably a very wise move because uh, the the uh, uh, PIMFA has been going from strength to strength uh, since. Uh, what would you say at the moment uh is are are the priorities uh, for yourselves there
3: um i think there are a number of priorities i mean we represent a diverse group of um of businesses which all have one thing in common which is that they face the clients they they face the consumer um so whether that is face to face or whether that is um online uh, it's all about helping individuals to plan and save and invest um for themselves and for their families uh, but we're going through uh, a number of of key challenges i mean um looking at a, a a macro level if you like um markets are a little turbulent um it's it's very challenging um to um kind of navigate the the uh, investment management world. So uh, even more reason why you need a financial advisor and, uh, and an investment management firm to help you um, because it is quite a complex arena. And that's not helped by the lack of financial education uh, more generally. So um, if you have that as a backdrop uh, and then politically you have what's going on um, with post-Brexit uh, and where – the rules are going to come from in future, all of that is still to be negotiated. Um, so it, it's a whole melting pot of issues that uh, that our firms are trying to face.
2: Oh, Without a doubt. I think uh, maybe, Liz, there's quite a few understatements there in terms of the challenges that are yes. a- occurring <laughs> at the moment. But there's quite a lot to pick up uh, uh, on the, on those points because uh, I, th- I think it's, 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 a, it's a unique time almost, Liz, isn't it, where there are a different set of challenges that advisors and individuals are uh, being confronted with from a lot of different angles. Um, and perhaps if we can start, let's start at the beginning, in fact, you bring up the issue of financial education. Yeah. Now, that's something I think uh, you can talk to anybody in the business and they'd agree with you on that front, Liz. We don't do it properly in this country. Where no. do you think, Liz, it should start from and how do we fix it?
3: Okay, so I think – I mean, the first thing to say is that there's a lot of fantastic effort that we see across the whole of the financial services sector, uh, our sector um, amongst that, where they they try and go into schools – um, and provide financial education. You go onto any website um, of some of our members and they've got some great educational material. Um, but there isn't a national framework that 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 wraps itself around the whole of the financial education efforts within our industry. And without that, um, I think there there the, the businesses are facing a lot of, um, barriers when it comes to actually getting into schools. Um, I mean, financial education is part of the, um, per, I think it's personal health and social education, um, uh, piece of the curriculum, but there isn't an exam, um, that's at the end of it. So when it comes to schools and, and how they're being judged, it's on metrics such as, um exams and without an exam for financial education um i think uh it's go- it's just it's just going to keep coming up against the same barriers mm. um and financial education is not the same as maths so uh, what we'd also mm. quite like to see is is that we have more um kind of money type questions within the maths curriculum because that will also then bring it to life uh for young people for uh, youngsters and you know school kids it will bring it to life because it's about things that they have to deal with or you know that they they deal with on a day-to-day basis which is money so the more that we have that is populated in the curriculum that is about money um the better i think because then we'll start to promote a culture of of savings and investments which we so badly need in our in 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 our um in our country
2: without a doubt is because again you've hit the nail on the head because there's only so much that can be done without the involvement of the curriculum in schools yeah. Uh, and you, know, you can, as you pointed out, very well. Uh, it, it, companies can try all they all they might, but it, it's difficult if it's not a, a joint effort. Uh, yeah. And I think, as um, uh, for example, uh, with with the new government, we have there have already been positive noises at the very least. Whether they become actions is another <laughs> thing entirely. Regarding what you could consider a full, a, a, a far more applied mathematics. In a, in a lot of uh, the system, but ty- time will tell. And that's something I think we could probably dedicate in the next hour to, Elizabeth. Yes, I think we, you're right. <laughs> we probably shouldn't. Um, now, looking at and a couple of other points to pick up that you've already raised here, Liz, uh, and it goes back to the word you've already said, which is uncertainty. Uh, it, it seemed as if the markets, investors, people, we've been in a state of limbo for the last three and a half years. Uh, we're talking, of course, three months after, two months after uh, a general election that resulted in a, a large majority for the Conservative Party, and therefore, at least, we have now uh, left the European Union. Without without dragging you down the political rabbit hole here, uh, Liz, is there a hope now that because of that clarity, we may start to see a far more s- s- far more certainty in the market? And what are your hopes for the next twelve months
3: um i think i think that that we've still got a little way to go because um whilst you know thirty first of January came and went um you know we're now we're now in a negotiation period we're now in a transition period mm-hmm. um and for for u k um, savers and, uh, and investors, uh, in terms of where the rules are made, there's still, there's still not some clarity about that. Um, you know, we're, we're still, uh, well, we don't know yet whether we're still tied, um, or will be tied to the, um, European rulemaking, um, down the line. That's still to be negotiated. I mean, we've always said that actually for, for savers and investors, we need stability in the markets and we need access to funds. Um, however, it, you know, the, the majority of our, of our firms look after UK savers. Um, and therefore a, one of the positives we see is the ability to have a, a rule book that makes sense for UK savers and investors and UK firms. Um, so there's an. Uh, we think that there's an opportunity there, with definitely without um, watering down regulation. So we're definitely not talking about less regulation. Yes. What we're talking about is smarter mm. regulation, which makes sense for firms and makes sense for clients. Um, and as we've got a very unique industry in terms of savings and investments. Um, um in Europe in Europe, England or U- the UK rather and and Ireland are unique amongst our European counterparties. So when you have a European rule book or a rule book that is set in Europe that doesn't bear any relation to the model of in- intermediation that we have here that has caused us problems in the past and we're hoping that we we will be able to affect that in the future with a local regulator and a local rule and a local rule maker but we will see. That is still all part of the of the melting pot. So, whilst I'd like to be posit- positive <laughs> and, and optimistic about the market, <laughs> um, we've still got this period um, of uh, of negotiation, and uh, until we see where we go to with that. Uh, and of course, you've got financial services and fisheries amongst yes, we, the same. Still, piece, you know.
2: <laughs> famous fellows, aren't they?
3: Indeed, really? absolutely, uh, absolutely. So we've still got to wait and see, I think.
2: It, absolutely. Um, and it will be an uh, interesting year, if nothing else. Um, yes. uh, now, you, you, you've mentioned there at least uh, the role of, uh, of course, regulators. I know uh, in the last month or so, obviously, uh, PIMFA has. Uh, given its fair amount of critique to um, the FCA, um, are they at the moment doing their job correctly? Um, I think
3: part... I, th- I don't envy the regulator one iota. Um, uh, I think if you look at the the number of people that they have in the supervisory team and the number of firms that they have to regulate, um, it, it, uh, it is not an enviable job um, by any stretch of the imagination. Yes, we have been critical, not least of all because we are expecting um, better supervision to prevent firms from failing and certainly to prevent firms from failing in the spectacular way that they have uh, in the last few years, which has impacted on the size of the financial services compensation scheme levy. And this levy is paid for by by firms within the industry. And our firms are a majority of small to medium-sized firms, and their bills have gone up exponentially. Our criticism is that, you know, we we don't object to having an FSCS levy um or you know the lifeboat yes. funds to pay, you know, recompense to to consumers. Uh, and, and our view is has always been that the polluter pays, but the polluters have, have long since folded mm. by the time mm. it comes to any payment, which means that good firms are paying for bad firms, so the system we believe is broken, um, and and I think that is about the regulatory perimeter. Um, you know what is it that the that the lifeboat fund should be protecting? The perimeter is too big, so that you know what is the nature of risk that all needs to be um, uh, redefined. We believe and recalibrated, which then enables you to determine well if that's what risk is then how do we protect it and how do we levy for it mm-hmm. um and that is all linked to better supervision so that is something we have been critical about um we're in the process of finalizing a paper uh which we um which we have positioned in a constructive manner which is these are some of the things that we believe f c a you should be looking at in your supervisory process, and we want to help you to do your job
2: better now i I know there's no such thing as a a magic wand that is and perhaps it' be putting you on the spot <laughs> but if let 's imagine let's let's imagine you did have one just for the just for this afternoon, perhaps, and you were able to change one thing about that uh, system, and perhaps i shouldn 't ask this because if your report isn 't out yet, you might want want to reveal something that 's in it um, but if you could. <laughs> Um, what would be your number one priority?
3: If we, if we were to, if I, were, my number one priority to to solve the system in terms of reform. In terms of reform, mm. what regulatory yeah, reform yes. you mean? Um, I think. Oh goodness me! The one thing. Um, it is a bit of a mean I, question. Uh, it <laughs> is. Gosh. Yes. Wow. Um, I, I think it's about the regulatory perim- perimeter. Oh. Um, I, I think let's have a look at the regulatory perimeter. Um, which is you know, gives some certainty to to clients about what is protected and what is not protected, which also then gives some assurity both to them and also to the advisors who have to advise those clients on what what's the pathway to success for them and what and and I think if there's some clarity around all of that, then everybody will be will be better off.
2: Great. Now, uh, b- I'm conscious of the time here, Liz. It's already catching up with us. So perhaps if we can take a, a, a little step back and uh, a, and look at um, uh, the operations of Pimfer again. it's What PINFRA do does so well is its ability to build relationships with so many uh, different uh, organisations. C- can that really, Liz, be underestimated, the importance of... Having those working relationships with with the departments and the organisations that you do have.
3: No, I don't. I, I think it's absolutely fundamental um, to any business, actually. Mm-hmm. But it's certainly something that that we have in the middle of the stick of rock that is Pimfer. Uh, I mean, we talk about that. You know, the values that we have as an organisation. We we are a small organisation. Uh, And we can't do our job unless we work in partnership and collaboration with others. So relationship building um, and maintaining and creating a good foundation of relationships is absolutely fundamental to what we do.
2: Without a doubt. And I think that's the key point, isn't it, that that's so applicable to any realm, whether it's business or or politics or uh, any areas of life. And I think because of the time here, we we I, I must start to wrap up but um perhaps i can ask liz looking forward and i know the next twelve months is full of uncertainty what are uh, the plans Pimfer has for it nonetheless
3: um so i think our well our key priority this this next 12 months is 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 to be talking um much more um and we're we, we have been lobbying uh, a fair bit on this, but because of Brexit, um, our ability to actually kind of get into um, see the policymakers on both sides, I think, to have that dialogue has been a challenge. Um, but we're finding that that is changing. That, you know, they, they want to hear from us. So I think our priority is around that regulatory perimeter um and what does what does regulation look like for uh, for us moving forward but at the same time it's not just about the future of regulation but it's also about the future of supervision because the two of those go hand in hand um so those those two um are kind of what are, are the main the main areas over the course of this next year. Having said that, um, you know, we have a manifesto that's got six that's got six pillars in it. Um and regulation and supervision and the future of that is is just um kind of is just one of those things. There are a whole host of another of other things promoting the sector as a as a force for good and as an integral part of a of an individual's kit bag um, for financial and mental well being uh, is is another key strand of, of activity. So I think future regulation, future supervision, and then promoting the sector as an integral part of uh, of um, everybody's kit bag in building their personal financial future.
2: Well, Liz, there might never be a, a more important year. Uh, has not been in a while that will determine the future of all of those things and perhaps never a year where so many people pay attention to what happens to Britain's fish stocks. Um, But it's been (laughs) an absolute pleasure discussing that leadership with you today. Uh, I hope very much we can sit down perhaps later this year uh, when there's a bit more clarity perhaps and talk through a few more things. Thank you. I would love to do that. Thank you very much. Thank you.
0: This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence in leadership with us. I've been your host, Scott Challoner. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, or other guests of any other person therein associated.